If we let that child do that crisis on the floor, we're going to get judged. If we pick him up, we're going to get judged. If we just leave that card in the middle of the aisle, we're going to get judged. There's no win here. So just pick what works best for you and do that. Welcome to the Beautifully Complex podcast, where I share insights and strategies on parenting neurodivergent kids straight from the trenches. I'm your host, Penny Williams. I'm a parenting coach, author, and mindset mama, honored to guide you on the journey of raising your atypical kid. Let's get started. Welcome back to Beautifully Complex. I'm really excited today to have Anouk here with me, and we are going to talk about the impact of parent confidence and our social environment on our experience with raising complex kids. I'm really excited to go down this path with Anouk and really figure out what we need to have more presence of mind about as parents and how we can navigate this successfully. So I want to start by having you let everybody know who you are and what you do. Thank you for having me over, Penny. So I'm French-Canadian first, so you'll hear maybe some uh, English mistakes here and there. I have a master in social work and I have three, what I call emotionally intense kids, but beautifully complex applies to <laughs> neurodivergent kids, ranging from four to 15, close to 16. And I've been working as a social worker up until a year and a half ago, uh, mostly with kids with different special needs in a pediatric hospital and readaptation center. And now I have a business supporting parents of emotionally intense kids that can be neurodivergent, but not only some have trauma, anxiety, and different other, uh, it can be uh, different, really different things that lead to that emotional intensity. And I also an uh, advocate advisor for a patient organization. And I support also another nonprofit, support parents of kids with heart diseases. Yeah, your helper in many different areas. It's amazing. Where should we start this conversation about, you know, parental confidence and social pressure? I think social pressure especially is so difficult to navigate because it can't be our compass as parents of neurodivergent kids. We know mm -hmm. our kids are different. We know they're not neurotypical. So how do we sort of almost circumvent that path in a way? Yeah. How do we get okay with that, I guess, is what I'm asking. Yeah. And I would say like they really are closely related because parental confidence is impacted by social expectation mm -hmm. or social pressure. And the more confidence we have, the less impacted we are by social pressure. So they really mm. go end in end. And I would say like my older two kids are teens now and I got diagnosis for them in the last two years. So up until then, I had no clue I was parenting neurodivergent kids. So that social pressure that you know or not, the social pressure is very, very intense yeah. because most of what we're told don't work with our kids. And you talked about that again and again on the podcast. We cannot approach those kids with a traditional discipline method. And even the more positive parenting, it's often just not enough. Yeah, <laughs> It requires more than that. It's not like just getting on that level and naming their emotion. It can even be damaging for some of those kids. So it's more complex than that for sure. And so when we, no matter if we are more in the, 
positive parenting environment or more traditional disciplining environment in both spaces, we're never going to do the right thing, basically. Mm. So that pressure, and, and it comes in sneaky ways from everybody and everywhere. It comes from advertisement. It comes from the parent groups where you're chatting with other parents that are saying things and you're like, yeah, that's not working with my kids. And then people are judging or suggesting things that, you know, is not going to work. You tried that again and again. And it's hard because often you like, for example, just recently I was in a social setting and I've been home a lot with my kids and it reminded me how much we're judged mm-hmm. all the time, no matter what we do, because people don't get it. It's an invisible, is it a disability or not? We can talk about that forever, but it still is a struggle and kids that are of different reaction and often they're not socially acceptable and we're judged all the time. It's not just a perception. Sometimes we think we're judged, but parents of neurodivergent kids are always judged, basically, because it's associated with bad behavior. Yeah. Most of the time. Yeah. As you were talking, I was thinking, you know, when we do the right thing for our kids, we're being told we're doing the wrong thing by society yeah, or our family members or teachers even. Or doctors. I was told that recently by a doctor. You know, you can't say no to your child. Really? That never occurred to me. (laughs) Yeah. And, you know, I always remind myself that people around us don't know our story. That helped me with my own anxiety and fear of judgment. But society needs to catch up, too. Mm -hmm. We need people to understand neurodivergence. We need that acceptance. And I would say just accepting differences. It's just like, can we just stop judging all the time and thinking that we know better than other people? Yeah. And I'm sorry, but that's not the case. It's really rare. Yes, it's going to happen sometimes that there are parents that are not adequate. But honestly, it's really a small percentage of parents that are really not adequate. Yeah. And even them, they're doing their best. They just don't have the resources, any kind of resources, the, the knowledge, or every parents are doing their best. There are no parents that are getting up in the morning and thinking, I'm going to arm right. my child today voluntarily. Right. right. Nobody is taking that. <laughs> it might end up that way, like just because that's life and because they're trying and it's not working and they're not doing the right thing for that child. But that's never why a parent gets up in the morning and wants to arm their children. We may make mistakes. We will. We may not know what we should be doing yet or how to do things better, but our intentions are good. And when other people see us struggling or our kids struggling in public, we are trying. Everybody's trying. Yeah, all the time. Yeah, it's so, so difficult. And I think yeah, we all have some level of trauma around that as parents. Like when your kid is losing it in the supermarket and people, I remember people literally peeking around the corner of the aisles to look at us to see what was happening, right? And that's so hard. Yeah. And yeah, it's just the weight of all of that societal pressure can actually make us make more mistakes, right? Because it's dysregulating. Definitely. Definitely. And and that has an impact on our confidence so that even if we think I know what my kids need and I'm going to do that to support them, then we get judged and we are dysregulated and we are now doubting it. Maybe I haven't 
to made that right decision and then we're not doing what our kids really need, it's arming them much more than when mm -hmm. we were trusting what we thought was the right thing to do. But the social pressure often makes us not take the right path for our kids and not take the right decision for our kids because we don't trust our instinct because we're judged all the time on our instinct. So it's arming our confidence as parents a lot. So social pressure definitely is a big, big part of that. Yeah. And we're not doing what's right for them. How do we accept, I think, because we can't change everybody else. Nope. We only have control over ourselves. So how do we accept that other people are going to judge, they don't know our story, and be able to stand in our kids' truth to honor what they need in those moments. I would say there's, I wish there was a magic formula for that. There's none. <laughs> yeah. But there's a few things that are going to help. I would say first, finding the right people to be surrounded with the right community, because as much as the social pressure will have a negative impact on our confidence as parents, having the right people supporting us in the right way around us will increase our confidence. So often when today I'm still sometimes doubting, even if I doubt way less than I used to, when I'm questioned about the decision I'm making, I always come back in my mind to, I'm not the only one making those decisions for my kids. I know so many other parents that are doing that and it's working. I'm not the only one. But when you're the only one, it's almost impossible to stand against all that social pressure. You need to know that you're not alone. So podcasts like yours are a wonderful resource because, you know, there's like authority people that have knowledge, that study that, that have parented kids older than yours going in the same direction and with the same kind. And it's always different. There's nobody else doing things exactly like you need to do it for your child. But in this same kind of mind and direction that you're going, having those people to reference, even if it's just mentally saying, yeah, I know I'm doing okay because Others are doing it and it's working, even if right. all of those people think it's not working. Yeah. <laughs> you know, so that's one of the things. Also, if you're in a relationship with another, it can be the other parent or a new partner, having that teamwork mm -hmm. also makes a lot of difference. If you're not in the alignment with your decision with your child, it makes it much more difficult to follow through and trust yourself. But when you support each other, when that, it really is that helpful. Yeah, that support is so yes important because without it, there's just so much friction, right? And I, I just want to acknowledge it is very, very hard to get on the same page yeah. when you're co-parenting together or not together, mm -hmm. even together, yeah. you know, in the same household is very hard. We grow up differently mm -hmm. in different environments with different ideas and it's just, you know, we're different people and different personalities. It's so hard. I just want everybody to know that we get that. Oh, yeah. Because it's something that I hear time and time and time again. How in the world do we get on the same page? You know, it's so much harder to parent this kid when we're also fighting about how to do it. <laughs> right. And, and so you have to be mindful. You have to sit down and have those conversations. Mm -hmm. You have to even maybe create some structure, right? If this happens, this is what we agree is going to be the outcome. And it's also okay to not get it all the time. Yes. Like, perfect. You're never going to. And we're two different parents. We will mm -hmm. do things differently at some point. And like, there's that expectation that the two parents, if it's the same household, they should always do the things the same way. 
but it's not really realistic. We're still two different person. And for some reason, if parents get separated, suddenly the child is able to understand that the rules are different into just two households. But when we are together, it should always be exactly the same, which is kind of weird. So it would be great, yeah. but <laughs> it's not really possible. We are two different human beings. Right. We will react differently to the situation. Mm-hmm. So it still is like, as much as we should try to have some consistency and have the same kind of thing, structure and rules in place, it's never going to be 100%. That's not realistic. Yeah, yeah. Knowing that is important. The other thing I wanted to just circle back for a second on surrounding yourself with other parents who have somewhat of a similar parenting journey, where do we find those people? And I'll say there's so many places to find them now. When my kid was diagnosed 16, 17 years ago. Crickets. (laughs) I wasn't even on Facebook yet. I actually got on Facebook so that I could find community with other parents who got it. That was why I signed up. So there's lots of resources. Where should parents be looking? Because I think it's isolating. And we hide the struggles from other parents and other parents are doing that too. And so I remember there was a parent that I worked with and for like two years, I had no idea that her kid was struggling. She had no idea that my kid was struggling. They both were almost the same age, same diagnoses, lots of similar struggles. She was here, like in my town, I could get together with her and we had no idea until one of us finally said something. (laughs) And, you know, so like, how do you find your people? How do you get these connections? That's a great question. I would say locally, it's harder than online. Exactly for the reason you were saying, mm-hmm. because we are not talking about that or like openly with people around. But I would also say, start. If you can be the one that start talking about those things, you'll find people around you because there's way more than we think. Yeah. And when you start talking about it, you realize that there's a lot of people that are going through similar things, but nobody is talking about it. And so it gets very easier. It's hard to start because you feel that people are going to judge you. So you can start with small things. You don't necessarily open up with the artist things, but you can start with some example of small struggle that you can have or things that are more difficult. And I would say keep an open eye for colleagues or people around you that might cancel appointments more often than others, be mm. not coming at work, mm. like things like that. It, it helps to know that you can spot those parents that have more family requests, I would say. Yeah, challenges. Yeah, more challenges, more things going on in their family because they might be less present at work, more distracted than things like that. And so it might be a great way to start and just be open to their reality. Might be different than ours too, but just getting together with parents that have a different reality, even if it's not the same as ours, is still great. And otherwise, online community, there's many. Mm -hmm. And I would say now there's so many that find some that you really truly feel comfortable in and that the people in really resonate with what you're going through and your values and the way you want. And still, like, for example, your podcast, I think is a great way because you're going to interview lots of people that have different communities, offers, some free, some paid, but there's lots of opportunity to say, oh, I really vibe with that person. I'm going to go check if they have something that I can participate in, for example. And so that way you can find the right ones can be one, I would say most often than not, more than one would be great because not one community would be exactly fulfilling all the needs that you have. (laughs) Right. Yeah. And I think people locally and online is not the same either. 
if you have people locally, it's different because their kids can play together or interact with each other mm-hmm. and you can get support if you need to. Like For example, I know my youngest, I have no idea who can babysit her around right now because we moved here recently and I don't know lots of people locally yet. And I'm not about to ask a 15 year old to babysit her. It's not going <laughs> to It's not gonna be pretty. <laughs> <laughs> And so from her preschool, I know one or two other moms that I've seen their kids and I'm like, "Mm, yeah, she would be able to handle mine. (laughs) Right, right. Yeah. I mean, just being more aware of what other people are doing and how it might be similar to the struggle that you're having. Yeah. And just the reaction also of other people to your child. Yeah. It tells you a lot. Mm -hmm. Like if they have a a hard time with how your child is acting, that's not your people. (laughs) Yeah, they don't get it. Yeah, exactly. Some people get it, some people don't. And it's just, Mm -hmm. you'll see that fast if Derry can talk with your child. (laughs) I know that some schools have PTO, PTA now for special needs families. We never had one in my area, but I know in another county in my state, um, yeah. They did have one. So definitely checking with your school. Like, do you have support for parents? Mm-hmm. And maybe you can spearhead that. You know, if you could talk to a special ed coordinator or a guidance counselor and say, I really want to start a meeting with parents mm-hmm. whose kids have similar struggles. Would you mind, you know, sending out an email and seeing if people would join me? That's not something I would have done because I have social anxiety. But there <laughs> are people who, who would take the helm and create that. And then you have that support. Like when I finally got on Facebook, I started a group for parents Mm -hmm. of neurodivergent kids because that's what I needed. And I knew it and I was hoping that I could create it. And and I get just as much out of it as anybody else because Mm -hmm. I am that parent also and I could use that support also. So, you know, sometimes if it doesn't exist create it. You can build it. Definitely. You can create it. And you don't need to be a specialist to do that. The goal is to be just getting together as people who are living through the same kind of thing. Mm -hmm. That's it. That's the only goal. So nobody needs to have a training in anything to start that other than being willing and having the energy to do it. Because sometimes we know how (laughs) energetically involved we have to be with our kids. But yeah, it definitely would be a great idea because that makes a huge difference Yeah, to have that community around. Because there's a shame coming with that. Definitely mm-hmm. like a feeling of shame coming with that, all that judgment. That's why we're not talking about it. Yeah. I honestly didn't realize for years that was not normal because I only had those kind of kids. <laughs> right. For me, that was parenting, you know, I had no clue there was something else. And I always worked with parents of kids with special needs. I never worked with parents of normal kids, <laughs> if you will, <laughs> if that's even a thing. So I didn't add a point of reference with what we can call regular kids. Yeah. So when you don't know, you don't know. <laughs> yeah, we all have something. I mean, this is a conversation I've had with my yes. kids many times yes. over the years. Everybody struggles with something. They may not show it. <laughs> You may not know it. It may not be like you, but everybody, you know, nobody is perfect. We're all human beings. Yeah. And that norm doesn't really exist. Like the way we consider normal is just like a middle ground of everybody, but nobody is that middle ground. That's the thing. (laughs) Mm -hmm. Can we talk about an example maybe of how to handle 
that judgment, (laughs) how to handle our kids when we are in a place where there are people around and our kids are emotionally intense, they're having a hard time, whatever is happening is really tough for us. We're feeling judged. Do you have some strategies? What do we do to get through that? I would say it's a practice, but it's really focusing on what my kids need right now and what I need to stay regulated mm-hmm. and try to block everything else. All the judgment, all the mm-hmm. looks. And you might be ignoring some people that could be helpful. That Let's be honest, sometimes some people can. It, but the thing is, it's very, very small number of people that will be helpful in those moments, sadly, in this society. I hope it was more than that, but it's generally more helpful to just block and ignore them as much as we can and try because often that like knowing that people are looking down the aisle and like it will raise our beat. We will get like warm and then we'll lose mm-hmm. patience so much faster with our kids and that will snowball with a bigger, bigger fight. And if you need to just leave, just leave. Yeah. It's possible. Just go in the car and come back later. It's okay to just leave a full cart of food in the middle of an aisle. That's life, you know? <laughs> and maybe you'll come back and it's all going to stay there. Maybe yeah. you'll come back and you'll have to start from scratch. Maybe you have to go tomorrow. We still need sometimes to remove that expectation that things are going to go a certain way. I remember clearly my sister was that kind of child and she still is in some way. She's just not a child anymore. <laughs> I was six years older than my sister. So I remember some of the things that my parents were doing with her, which which was really helpful because they were early <laughs> in the positive parenting sphere. And I use some of the things that they use with my own kids, my son especially, because he's the older one. And I remember distinctly sometimes in the grocery store, she was just losing it in the floor. They were leaving her there grocery shopping, then picking her up, putting her in the cart and leaving the grocery store. That's it. I'm sure it was hard for them, but from my point of view, it looked normal. I was having a hard time. (laughs) Right. Yeah. But my parents looked like they didn't. I'm pretty sure it was not the case, but it looked like that from the outside. And they knew that that was the case. Today, I might like... I know better in some ways than they knew. Lots of stuff that they didn't know about regulation and sensory processing issues and things like that that were not really known in the late 80s, early 90s. Right now, I would not necessarily do that. (laughs) I would help a child regulate. If she always had trouble in the grocery store, there's probably a reason. And so we would find a way to help that child. What's going on in the grocery store is there too much noise, too much people, too much light, too much music. Like there's a reason why that child is getting that way if it's always in the same place. Yeah, yeah. But like that's not knowledge that was generally known. And it was not even, I'm not even sure it was known period at that point in time. So it's completely different. Yeah, she's more than three years old. So it's been a while. So yeah, I think that would be it. It's twofold all the time. It's like in the moment, focusing on what our kids need and what we need Mm -hmm. to stay calm and forgetting the rest. And then if it's always happening in the same situation, then we can troubleshoot in advance and see what we can do finding and play detective. I call that play detective Mm -hmm. because we often don't know what's happening. (laughs) Yeah. So it's trial and error a lot. And it's okay to do trial and error. Like they're not coming with a 
101 guide how to raise that kid. <laughs> we wish. at all. No. Yeah. <laughs> I remember my son, the grocery was a problem for a long time. And I was taking him there right after school. Mm. And that was for me. Yeah. Because I was already out. It was convenient. We were right by the grocery store. Yeah. It was for me. And I had to stop doing it mm -hmm. because he could not handle it at that time. And that didn't mean that he was never going to be able to handle the grocery store. So true. Which was kind of where I got stuck way back then. I think, you know, if, if we don't do it, he's never going to be able to do it. But it wasn't mm -hmm. the case. Mm -hmm. He just needed more skills and he needed to be regulated. He needed to have the energy to work at it. And he didn't have that after school. It was gone. Yeah. He'd already spent it all. Yeah. And I struggled to leave the cart. I didn't think that was an appropriate thing to do, right? That was my mm -hmm. stuff again. So it was a lot of my stuff. And I had to remember that it was his stuff too. It's a social pressure. Like it's yeah. not socially acceptable yeah. to just leave your cart in the middle of the aisle. That's true. It's not a socially yeah. acceptable thing to do. So you're going to get judged for that. Right. Like I always say like with kids like that, there's no right solution. Yeah. We are always going to get judged. Mm -hmm. No matter what we do. If we let that child do that crisis on the floor, we're going to get judged. If we pick him up, we're going to get judged. If we just leave that car in the middle of the aisle, we're going to get judged. There's no win here. <laughs> so just yeah. pick what works best for you and do that. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. No matter what, we're going to get judged. So mm -hmm. that's the thing. And it, it's hard. Like I'm saying that it's it's so hard. It's not going to be that easy to do. It's going to take lots of practice. And yeah. I still struggle with that. And I avoid some situation also. I will decide if mm -hmm. I want to go somewhere based on if I know if I'm going to get judged a lot or not. I will choose not to go in some places. And that's also self-care. <laughs> it is. It is. I think that's an important thing that you bring up. It is self-care sometimes. Sometimes it's appropriate to avoid something. You know, it's not always maladaptive. And we have to prioritize our kids and ourselves, especially above strangers. Yes, definitely. <laughs> we don't know them. They don't know us. You know, there's really no expectation that we have to fulfill for them. Yeah. There's this social contract that, you know, we yeah. should be a good parent and they think they know what that looks like. But, you know, we're not letting these other people down because we don't have anything that we're we're responsible for to them. We are responsible to ourselves and our kids. Yeah, most likely they're going to have forgotten about us in five minutes. Mm -hmm. We won't, but they Long will. Long before we do, right? <laughs> We're still thinking about it. I mean, I'm still thinking about that grocery store incident and my kid is 21 now and he was like six. Exactly. Like I remember <laughs> and I also <laughs> wouldn't leave my cart. I ended up finishing. I was almost done, thankfully, but I ended up grabbing a couple more things, going through the checkout <laughs> with him kicking and screaming like a crazy person, you know, but I did have to practice. And for me, the work was in my mindset. Mm -hmm. I had to tell myself, they don't know our story. What they think has no bearing whatsoever on what is going on sure. and what I need to be focused on. Mm -hmm. And then I had that great mantra my kid isn't giving me a hard time. He's having a hard time. Then, screen. <laughs> yes, I could say, okay, now I'm focused in the right place, right? I would literally just say those things in my head when things came up. Mm -hmm. And now I was in the right focus. Now I could, 
either leave the store or, you know, not worry about the other people, try to help my kid regulate whatever the right strategy was at that time for us. Mm -hmm. But I had to do the work myself on my own mindset before I could ever get to a place where I wasn't suffering from shame. You know, I wasn't feeling inadequate. Mm -hmm. I was confident, right? But it did take a lot of practice, as you said. I just want people to really hear us say that. Yes, yes. It's easier for us to say it. It takes time and practice, and it is difficult, but you can do it. I mean, I have social anxiety. My big hang-up is judgment from others. If I Mm -hmm. get there, (laughs) I feel like just about everybody else can get there, right? Like, it was doubly hard for me to not care about what other people thought. And it also applies to people closer to us. Like, it's also okay to decide not to go to a family Mm -hmm. meeting because there's too many people Mm -hmm. there that are going to judge your kids. And you know that the house is absolutely not okay for that child. Yep. And we're still going to do the error sometime of going into places and regretting that we should not have gotten. Like, recently, I made a mistake. We went to our old city that is an hour and a half away. And we did two things in the same day. And the second one was absolutely too much for my youngest. She was completely dysregulated and I should have brought some sensory things and I forgot to brought some sensory things and she was not having it. It was no way. And it was my grandparents' house. It's absolutely not child friendly. (laughs) So it was a nightmare. And I was like, that was not a good idea. I should not have planned those two social activities in one day. And I should have brought some thing and planned a buffer in between so that she could have regulated herself maybe a little bit. Mm -hmm. But it's things that we forget. Like I should know better, but I still forget sometimes. Perfect doesn't exist. That's what I have leaned on for myself and for the families I work with. Like you're going to make mistakes. Life is going to ebb and flow. Things are going to happen. It's how you handle it. Mm -hmm. Knowing how to handle the things, even if we are not doing it perfectly most of the time. We're trying and we know what is the goal of what we want to do. And just knowing that we are doing the right thing because we are responsible for the way we are handling things, but we cannot guarantee our child will react with that. We cannot guarantee the results of how we act with our child. So when we know that what we are doing is the right thing, even if it doesn't give the result that we wish, at least we have that confidence of knowing we are doing the right thing that our kid need. And sometimes we don't know. Sometimes we try and clearly that day that was not the right thing. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it needed something else for some reason. We don't know why, but it still is like we try our best yeah. and we are learning from that experience. And yeah. this next yeah. time we'll try something and else. We have to be flexible. <laughs> Even if our kids are not, we have to be flexible. Yes. <laughs> and I think that's, you know, part of getting through this pretty much emotionally intact. You know, it is hard. There is grief. But, you know, being resilient, I guess, is what I really mean, because we Mm -hmm. are going to take an emotional hit. Any parent takes emotional hits. I mean, that happens. That's life as a parent. Right. And we're struggling more. Mm -hmm. But being able to navigate it in a healthy way, in a way that is modeling for our kids the way to handle Mm -hmm. their emotions, right? And to let go of the shame and blame and know that we really are doing our best, I think is, you know, really, really powerful. And that's how we get through this. And Mm -hmm. we do it together in that community that we find. I want to let everybody know how to connect more 
with Anouk and learn more from her and just really to take those resources and become a more confident parent. (laughs) You can do all of that in the show notes for this episode, which are at parentingadhdandautism.com slash 252 for episode 252. And I just hope that everybody who's listened to this episode is able to walk away with a little less shame and blame and a little more confidence that they are doing the very best that they can because we know that that's the case. We know that you are. Yes, yes. Thank you so much for being here and sharing some of your time and your wisdom. Thank you very much for having me. It was a pleasure. I will see everyone on the next episode. Take good care. Thanks for joining me on the Beautifully Complex podcast. If you enjoyed this episode, please subscribe and share. And don't forget to check out my online courses and parent coaching at parentingadhdandautism.com and at thebehaviorrevolution.com.